Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all here on this snowy but sunny Sunday morning. Please stand and join us as we begin our worship of God by singing his praises together.
Holy, holy, holy 
nation I see. Praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Father, we are filled with awe and wonder and with praise as we think about who you are, what you've done, your place in our lives and in this world. Help us today to have a clearer image of who you are. Help us today to open our hearts to you more and more 
that we might worship you in this gathering. Thank you for being present with us to give meaning to us being together. We offer ourselves in this worship to you and we pray this through Christ. Amen. We encourage you to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Just a few things I want to highlight that uh, most of them are printed in your bulletin. Uh, for those of you who have been asked to be on the uh, ballot, on our annual uh, election ballot uh, in May, uh, we're taking some pictures and putting together a little booklet to help the congregation know people a little bit more. So if you've been asked to do that uh, after the service, if you could go downstairs, we want to get a picture uh, that uh, we can put in the booklet just to help people know one another a little bit more as we move toward that. Uh, tonight we have small groups on a regular schedule and gatherings, but we also have a special service at 5 o'clock. We have a service of baptism, and we have three people who are going to be baptized, and we'd love to have you here uh, to witness that, to celebrate with them. We'll be back here at 5 o'clock uh, for this service of baptism. Wednesday evening is the last meeting of all of our children's ministries on Wednesday night, so please note that. Next Sunday morning, worship at a regular schedule, 8, 29, 40, and 11. Uh, we have some opportunities for ministry from uh, beginning in May and through, uh, through the summer. And a lot of you won't be around uh, because you're students and you're going to be doing other things in the summer. But if you're going to be here, whether you're a, you live here year-round or you're a student going to be here for the summer, we would love your help with Children's Church, with the nursery, even some help in Sunday school. There's some uh, announcements in the bulletin about that. There's also a couple of inserts in the back table if you'd be interested in helping with some of the ministries. Today is the last day to sign up for the nursery, so just note that. If you're interested in helping uh, in the next few months, um, then today is the day to get your name in for that. There are a number of prayer concerns listed in the bulletin, and uh, we pray for some folks who are connected to us. We had some deaths this week. Also, we want to... I'll be praying for some who are in the hospital, some who have had surgery, and also, of course, to pray for some of the situations unfolding in our nation and around the world. And we know God is at work. Um, sometimes it, it, it feels as though uh, evil is overwhelming us, but our hope and our, our faith is in God who is greater and uh, who is more powerful. We're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. One day, eyes that are blind will see you clearly. And one day, all who deny will finally believe. One day, hearts made of stone will break in pieces. And one day, chains once unbroken. Will fall down at your 
of an amazing thing, but the scriptures tell us that God is glorified. It's a means of worshiping God when we offer our prayers to Him. It's a means of trusting Him and declaring that He has answers that we don't have. And so this morning as we continue in worship, we have the opportunity to offer our praise and our adoration and worship through prayer. If you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you come and offer your prayers, 
Please join me now. Father, we've come today to glorify you, to praise you as the only God, the eternal one, sovereign Lord of all. In this moment of silence, hear our words of praise and adoration and thanksgiving for who you are and for what you've done. Father, as part of our worship, we acknowledge that you alone are the solution to the struggles and the problems and the burdens that we experience. We come to you today recognizing our need. In this moment of silence, hear our words of repentance Hear our prayers about the issues and struggles we are facing in our own lives. Father, we also pray for others. People who are struggling with illness and pain. People who are grieving. We think about some of the situations in our nation this week. And around the world. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers for one another. And for others. Father, thank you for calling us to pray. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for answering in the way that you know best in your eternal, infinite, perfect wisdom. 
Give us grace now to trust you. And help us to live, to walk in the way of your spirit. We pray all of our prayers through the name of Christ, our risen, conquering, returning King. Amen. Our reading from the Word today is found in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 10 and 22 through 27. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who has seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink with, without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars will place their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is a second death. One of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to the mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what, it, what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of our Lord. Please stand and sing with us. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty, my soul. 
is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts, thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts, thousands elsewhere. For some people, new is the most frightening thing in the world. We like the same. We like, we like things that to be the way they've always been. 
and new scares us. For other people, new is the most invigorating thing in the world. We get bored with things being the same all the time. We're always looking for something new, something different, what we would consider something better. I would say whatever position you take on that, there are things that we are always glad to be new. We, we, as a culture, we're kind of enamored with new. You know, there's an exhilaration you get when you get a new car. Or you move into a new house. Or you get a new computer. Or you get a new friend. We, our culture is continually telling us that we ought to want what is new, better, improved, Go through the stores, listen to commercials. You get it all the time. We're inundated with it about virtually everything from tennis shoes to window cleaner to to toilet paper to breakfast cereals. You take your pick. New, improved, better is what sells. And if you have last year's model, really, you're going to keep that? You want something new, right? And we're continually inundated with new. And, and sometimes when we get something new, it, it does exhilarate us and it does make us feel good for about 30 minutes. Maybe, maybe some things 30 days, but eventually it wears out. And the problem is we've made new our idol. The problem isn't that we have something new. The problem is the value we place on it, thinking it will bring satisfaction to this yearning that we experience. There, in one way, there's nothing wrong with that yearning for something new. I think it's something God has placed inside of us because when I read the scriptures, God is enamored with new. In the Old Testament, God says, I'm doing a new thing. And when we come to the book of Revelation... We find that God describes the heavenly existence as a new heaven and the new earth. And in verse 5 of this chapter we read this morning, he says, Behold, I am making all things new. God is making all things new. God himself is enamored with new. And he's going to bless us with new life, a new heaven, a new earth, a new existence on that day when his kingdom reaches its fulfillment. What I find interesting about this description that John gives us is that we get a glimpse into what that new is going to look like. He doesn't tell us everything. You can read through the book of Revelation a hundred times, a thousand times, and you will probably leave with more questions than you did the first time you read it. There's a lot of stuff there that you think, what in the world is that about? But in this 21st chapter, we get a little glimpse of what the new is going to be. And he talks about how God is creating new things. And when you read the description, we didn't read all of it today just for time's sake, but in the middle section, he talks about this city and its walls, and the walls and the streets are are made of all the precious metals that we can think of and all the most gorgeous gems in the world. And there are are 12 uh, walls and gates around the city, 
And they're all, they all have these precious stones embedded in them. And we see how much God loves to create things new. And that ought to say something to us about how we live. Because I think when we get to that eternal existence, we're going to continue to create. You know, we're made in the image of God who is the creator. And God who loves to continue to create embeds in us a a love and a joy for creating. I, I used to think that work was the result of the fall. You know, when sin entered the world, then we had to work. You know, because work is tedious and it's tiresome and and we toil at it. And so often our work doesn't seem to get us anywhere. But the reality is Adam and Eve worked in the garden long before the fall. That's how God put them in the garden and he told them to work the ground and and to, to produce and to create as he had. The problem came when sin entered the world. Now their work is going to be toilsome and it's not going to produce and there's going to be opposition to their work. And now it's going to be harder than ever. The problem's not the work. There's great joy in creating. You you finish a project and you look at it and you think, that's awesome. And and there's joy that comes to you from, from creating something, from making something, bringing something to life. No matter what it may be. No matter how hard it may be to get to it. And as we think about our lives now, we work as a means of glorifying God. And we get a glimpse now of what we will do then as we create things in that eternal existence that will bring glory to God, the creator. We also get a glimpse of God in the new heaven, uh, uh, the, the, what it's going to look like there and the feel of it. He talks about this, this city that will have no pain, no tears, no more sorrow. All of that will be eliminated. And the gates of this city will never be shut. And there will be no need to, to find ways to light the place because the Lamb and, and, the, and God himself will be their light. And there will be no more night and no darkness. Which is why you can keep the gate open all the time. You think back to ancient cities where they had walls around them and a gate. And during the day, the gate was open and people could come in and out. But at night, you shut the gate and you lock the gate. Because at night is when most crime takes place. Night is when evil seems to to do its work. Night is when fear and worry and anxiety seems to creep into our existence. You ever been through a night where you were fearful? You're in the house by yourself and you hear every noise possible. And you're wondering, what is that? What was that noise? What was that noise? And, you know, you probably made the mistake of watching a scary movie before you went to bed. And so that's just exasperated the whole thing. And, and, and so, you know, you're, you're thinking to yourself, oh, my goodness. And, and your fear and anxiety is creeping into you. And you're lying there in bed with your eyes open. And all of a sudden, you begin to see that first light of dawn. And it's like that that first light of dawn just begins to ease your fears. And as day breaks, things don't seem near as frightening. In that eternal city, it will be daylight all the time because evil has been crushed. 
You know, we're in the middle of the Easter season, and for a lot of evangelical Christians, we celebrate Easter Day, and then we just sort of put that on the shelf and move on to the next thing. But in the ancient church, Easter's 50 days, and we're continuing to celebrate Easter. And, and all of this heavenly existence that's described here is because of the risen Lamb. It's because Christ has conquered death. Our, this life on this earth is not the end because Jesus lives. And because he has conquered, we live now in the shadow of his conquering power. And it's not going to be heaven on earth. But we do have a power to live free of fear and anxiety and worry. Now, some of that's going to ha- we're going to have, we're going to experience because we're human beings. And we're not perfect and, and we wrestle with these things. But always in the context of Christ who has conquered. And when we get to that new heaven and new earth, we'll be free from all of that. And the scriptures tell us that we can now live in the shadow, in the light of Christ who has conquered. And despite the fears that come to us, we know Christ is greater. It was so vivid for me this week as I watched the events in Boston unfold. It's amazing to me that you could, the government to shut down a city just by saying, don't go anywhere. And people stayed in their homes and, and the fear and the anxiety was almost palpable through the television set. You can imagine what that was like as they went through that night. And then you watched as as, as the suspects were captured and, and as, as that scene, as the, the, the issue began to be resolved and you could just feel everyone's spirits rise and all of the fear and anxiety dissipate because now there was a sense of security. And people came out of their homes and they cheered and they clapped and they celebrated. It's a little glimpse of what it will be for us that day. And as followers of Christ, we live in the power of the risen Christ, even now. But it's important for us to understand that all of this that will take place in heaven, this this sense of of creativeness and this sense of security and being free from from the impact of, of evil, all of that is in the context of this city that God has created. John says, I saw a city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And he said, it was like a bride dressed for a wedding. Now, I've been trying to picture that. How do you, what does a wedding dress on a city look like? I don't know. It's a lot of material. I, I, I don't know what that would be. I'd love to see one of those wedding shows on you know, television. Do you handle that one? I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know what John saw. What would he have seen that he would have said, that looks like a city dressed for a wedding. I I don't know what would make him see that, except that something about the city made him see celebration. But what intrigues me about that is when you read through the scriptures, there is this pattern of connectedness between the people of God and being the bride of God. In Isaiah 61, God talks about his people being his bride. In Isaiah 62, he talks about his people being his bride. 
And then you come to Revelation 19. And and John talks about the bride of Christ in that heavenly existence. And in Ephesians 5, Paul connects so clearly the church and the bride of Christ. And when we see this image of the holy city of Jerusalem dressed like the bride of Christ... I think what he's telling us is, this is the church. And the security we will enjoy and the creativeness of our existence will be in the context of the church. I don't know about you, but I have had this subconscious thought in my mind most of my life that the church is an earthly thing. That the church is about our existence on earth. But once we get to heaven, that's going to be gone. This image of Revelation seems to imply otherwise. He's talking about the eternal bride of Christ. Not just an earthly bride of Christ, but the church will continue through the centuries. Of, through the ages of eternity. It's not just something about now on earth and then it's gone. It is the way God relates to and sees his people eternally. And I'm not sure that's always in our minds when we think about the church. It ought to say something to us about how much we value the church. And how we see the church Now, because of how it's going to be then. And that day, the church will be perfect. And that day, everything about the church will be fixed and and it will be put right. And we will be the perfect people of God. We're not quite there yet now. I don't think we're going to be. But I think it ought to cause us to say, to ask ourselves... Do I value the church the way God does? There's something about our, I think, our our image of heaven that we see see our relationship and our existence in heaven as individuals more than we do as a corporate body. It's probably a little bit unfortunate that the King James Version translated John 14.2 as the words of Jesus, In my Father's house are many mansions. Most of the other translations say, in my father's house are many rooms. But when you use that word mansion, I think subconsciously the image in our minds is sort of of a suburb. You know, maybe a suburb in the high, ritzy areas of the Hamptons or something. But we have all these mansions. But we all have our individual mansions and we do our own thing. And maybe there's a gate around our house. And, and, and we exist in heaven that way. I actually think heaven's going to be more like a commune than a suburb. Maybe more like a boarding house than a suburb. Because it's going to be all of us together, not these individual existences like we have now on earth. And it gets perpetuated in the way that we understand things, primarily through music. A lot of our theology is developed through the music of the church. And that's good to that. Some of it's not so good. If you've been around the church for a number of years, it would date many of you here this morning, you might know the name Dottie Rambo. She has written a lot of of southern gospel type music. Her most famous song is We Shall Behold Him. Sandy Patty sang that a number of years ago. That's a great song. She's written a lot of great music. But like all songwriters, some of her music you have to sort of think about and question and say, really, is that true? One song she wrote that I remember 
used to sing as a, as a kid and didn't think anything about it. The chorus goes like this. Just build my mansion next door to Jesus. Tell all the angels I'm coming home. It doesn't matter who lives around me. Just so my mansion sits near the throne. Now, you know, you read that, you hear that, you think, all right, then it's got a nice melody to it. But I think that's bad theology. I don't think it's about, it doesn't matter who lives around me as if, if anybody's there or not, who cares? No, it matters. Because we're all together in this. It's about all of us together. It's intriguing to me that in the great divorce, a story that C.S. Lewis writes about people in heaven and hell and, and how people are, are, exist in the place where they, where they feel comfortable and where they want to be. And in the story, people are, have the opportunity, who are in hell, have the opportunity to, to change their residence to heaven. And, and they all decide they don't want what heaven offers. They feel more comfortable in hell than they do in heaven. And one of the things about hell is that the people build their houses as far from each other as they possibly can. They don't want to be connected to other people. It's about me. I'm convinced one of the greatest oxymorons of our culture, of the church culture, is Christian independence. It's one of the great oxymorons of the 21st century. It's one of the great heresies, I think, of the 21st century. And the evangelical church, unfortunately, continues to perpetuate it by our mindset about individuality. It's about me and Jesus, which is important. But the church is negotiable. If the church is there, fine. If it's not there, fine. Whatever. It's just about me and Jesus. And I think it's completely unbiblical. When you read the Old Testament, it's all about Israel, the people of God, and they rise and fall together. And you come to the New Testament, it's about the church, and they rise and fall together. And somehow we have gotten out of that. And here we see this glimpse of heaven, and the context of the new heaven and the new earth is the church. So what does that say about how we view the church now? How do we view our faith now? Is it just about me, protecting me, making sure I'm okay, everybody else is on their own, I have, they really have no relationship to me? Or is it all of us together? And I don't just mean this local church, as important as that is, the connectedness, but the church universal and the church historic. And it's not just about Sunday morning worship. It's about all of our lives being interwoven into the fabric of the church as God's people. When God says, I am setting up this eternal kingdom and you're going to be a part of that, it's in the context of the church. We say, well, you know, wonder why why is the church... So does it seem so negotiable to us? Why do we wrestle with that? Well, part of it is because we've just been told over and over again that the church is negotiable. Part of it is because the church, being in the church, quite frankly, is hard. It's a lot easier just being by myself, doing my own thing. No one challenges me. I don't have to think about what anybody else wants or what helps anybody else. I just think about myself. It's just about me. And the church calls us to think about us. 
how my behavior affects that person and that person. Their behavior affects me. And all of us are connected to each other. And there's great joy in that, but there's also struggle in that. I also think that we, we buy into that mindset of the church being negotiable because we live lives of such ease. When you go to places of the world where Christians are persecuted, most of the time the persecution either begins or really intensifies when they come together as the church. There's little opposition or at least less opposition for individual Christians. It's when Christians come together as the church, when they meet together and they begin to bond together and form their relationships together, that's when the persecution becomes most intense. And yet they keep meeting together. Even at the risk of their lives, they keep meeting together. Because they realize how imperative the church is to their walk with Christ. And in our lives of relative ease, we slough that off. As long as I'm okay, I can't worry about anybody else. But that's not what the kingdom is about. And that is certainly not the image that we find of the new heaven and the new earth that God has prepared. So you think about your life. Wherever you are in the continuum of faith, maybe you you have yet to, to make any kind of commitment for Christ. Maybe you've been walking with Christ for a number of years, maybe for a long, long time. God's desire is that every one of us live in the grace and the joy of the new heaven and the new earth. The question is, as we think about how we're living our lives, our priorities, our goals, our dreams, our understandings, are we living in such a way that we are reflecting and preparing For what that day will be. Is that day bearing in on the decisions we make. And how we view our our faith. And our decisions about faith. Sometimes we get disappointed because we expect heaven on earth. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is living on earth. With the mindset and the priorities of heaven. That what we see God has done and is doing and is prepared becomes a part of how we live now, how we think, what we do. In this moment of silence, I want to give you the opportunity to think about your life. Again, wherever you are on the continuum. And ask God to reveal to you clearly whether your priorities and your mindset about life now is preparing you for life with Him then.
Father, you know our struggles, our burdens, our misunderstandings. You know our self-centeredness. Give us a new vision of what life can be the way you have designed it and planned it and prepared it. Speak into our lives even now. We pray this through the grace and mercy and power of Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together. I can only imagine what it will be like when I I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory. To my knees will I fall, will I sing, hallelujah, will I be able to speak at all, I can only imagine, I can only imagine, I can only imagine, when that day comes, and we find ourselves, Standing in the sun, I can only imagine when all we will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine, I can only imagine, surrounded by your by your glory 
What will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will we stand in your presence? But to our knees will we fall? Will we sing? Hallelujah! Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. We can only imagine. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.